If you missed yesterday's episode, you might want to go back and listen to the end where Layla goes large on the meaninglessness of Groundhog Day. <laughs> it was hilarious. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Layla Tassi, Lisa Garvin, and Laura Johnston. The news was popping yesterday, so we kept changing what we were going to talk about. And we're first starting with the outrage story of the day. What's the reason that a Jaga County School District canceled the student play that was well along in production? And what are the students to think about this? Laura. Well, Cardinal High School in Middlefield, Ohio, in Geauga County, decided that they can't do their spring play, the Putnam, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. It's a Broadway show from the early 2000s, and they had been planning all year to do this for their spring musical. Musicals are a big deal in the spring. It happens around April usually, and they've been planning for months, but apparently the school board said it was never approved. Well, the drama department says, yes, it was. We don't know the exact details on this. We don't know what the school board and the administration has an issue with. They say it's vulgarity. They say it has nothing to do with this discrimination, though the play does have a character with gay dads, but they haven't explained their issue. If they don't like the swearing in it, which they're swearing in it, they can change the words to darn it or whatever. If they don't like certain sections, the playwrights have offered to edit the play for them because this story has gone all over the country. The original cast from Broadway is reaching out about it. And the school board just says in a statement that they want high school plays to be community friendly. So they're appropriate for any audience member, regardless of age, without their parents present. This is utterly ridiculous because what kind of six-year-old is going alone to see a musical at the high school? By that standard, none of the high school musicals I've ever seen in my entire life would meet the criteria, except for maybe the modern Disney classic high school musical, which is made for like elementary school kids. But think about it. So Grease, all sorts of sex, pregnancy, crude language, West Side Story, gang violence, sex, guns, Mamma Mia, the main girl doesn't know who her dad is. Like, I took my nine-year-old to see the musical Chicago at Magnificat, which is a Catholic girls' school. I mean, Let's just put that in perspective. It was the junior version, which basically they only changed the word from screw to see. But th- this is what shows are about. They have content in them. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe they did this because it, it now has the whole world focused on what a ridiculous place this is. Yes. But I, I worry more about what is the message to the kids? I mean, they, they have to have lost all faith in the adults of that community, that this is such a stupid thing, that they were already well along. They're all excited about their show. And, the, and look, let's face it, they're, they're not doing this because of vulgarity. They're doing it because they're anti-gay. They don't want people seeing, mar- you know, married dads or, or two dads Which raising a kid. It's, it's hard re- to believe in the year 2023 that that could be the issue. Because I don't know how many people have seen the musical Prom. It's a Broadway show, came to Playhouse Square maybe last year. They've actually done a Netflix musical on it. And the whole point is, like, these Broadway stars come to an Indiana small town where a girl's not allowed to bring a um a female date to prom and i was like this is so feels so outdated because who cares that much if anyone's gay anymore and now it's like okay look ohio is it showing i don't know i i hope that's not the reason but yeah if you're a kid and this is what happens it is just i mean they're letting you down they're telling you we don't and you. we're assuming that these children's can't tackle thorny issues and that they don't know right. any gay people. 
Or that, right, or they don't swear. I mean, the idea that these kids don't know this stuff already is ridiculous. And I, I'm really disappointed in the school district, and I'm, I feel really bad for these kids. Uh, Cliff Pinkard wrote the story overnight and said these kids, they were just shocked and their hearts just fell. And, you know, this, a lot of them, this could be their senior year. This is the end all be all musical for their high school career. And they probably can't do another show because it can take up to six weeks to get permission to do a show and cost something like $1,500 to get the rights. And they're not going to get that money back from the Putnam County Spelling Bee. This gets back to also Mike DeWine in a state of the state address said, I want people to move to Ohio. Right. Every time Ohio becomes the subject of a national news story, it's so embarrassing. I mean, if you travel out of Ohio, you're going to be embarrassed to admit it. You're not going to want to wear the sports stuff because people, <laughs> oh, you're from Ohio. What a loser. And this right. Is you just... can't even say, well, I'm in Northeast Ohio. It's very different because look, this is right here. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's such a, a terrible statement to make to the students. And, and who are these board members that are, that are so ridiculous? This, was this one of those school boards that did get the CRT people elected? I mean, is this really activist school board members trying That's to- That's a really good question. Honestly, I had never heard Cardinal High School before. I, I did not know- I, like I've never been there. I've never played it in sports. So in well, Middlefield is an Amish town. I mean, it's like the second biggest Amish community in the state. But those kids aren't true. Going that's to high true. School. And they're probably not going to see the musicals. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's embarrassing. It's another major embarrassment for Ohio in a long line of them. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio played a role in the removal of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Another mark for Ohio. Layla, which Ohio congressman led that charge? It was charge? Max Miller from Rocky River. Um, he, he initiated the resolution to, to oust Ilhan Omar from the committee. Meanwhile, our other congressman, Dave Joyce from South Russell, was the only Republican who voted present when they called the roll to give Omar the boot. Jo Joyce issued a statement later that said he only voted present because he believes that this matter might end up before the House Ethics Committee, where he's a senior member. But overall, it seems he agrees with his fellow Republicans on this issue. A reporter Sabrina Eaton tells us that, that this debate got really ugly between Republicans and Democrats, with each side accusing the other of bigotry. Miller, who is one of two Jewish Republicans among his colleagues, said Omar has a history of making anti-Semitic remarks and, and shouldn't be trusted to make objective foreign relations decisions given her biases against Israel and against the Jewish people, he said. He listed comments that she's made over the years. Once in 2019, she suggested that Jewish people and the American Israel Public Affairs Committee were buying political support. And Miller said that that amplifies an anti-Semitic stereotype about Jewish people and money. He didn't like that she once referred to Israel as an apartheid state or that she equated the United States and Israel to the Taliban and Hamas or that she trivialized the September 11th terrorist attacks by describing that day as some people did something. The Democrats then shot back with their accusations that that the the action against Omar was payback for their decision to remove Georgia Republican U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and Arizona Republican uh, 
Paul Gosar from committees in 2021 for comments that they made that were advocating political violence. And then the Democrats also accused the Republicans of total hypocrisy. They pointed out that they didn't sanction their party members who praised Adolf Hitler, promoted the Great Replacement Theory, or invited a Holocaust denier to the State of the Union speech. I mean, so this, it sounded like a pretty ugly uh, hearing. Ilhan Omar said they're they're just trying to stifle her because she's a powerful woman who happens to be an immigrant and a Muslim, but she pledged that she wouldn't let them silence her and she'll continue the fight, committee or no. It, it seems like the Republican Party, the, at least the far right part of it, is really going for a, 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 almost a racist platform. And Ron DeSantis, what he's doing in Florida, I mean, I, I don't know how you can describe that as anything other than you know, the white supremacy argument there, there, this just is a terrible look And the country is not going to be majority white much mm-hmm. longer. I, I just, it's a, it's a, maybe it works in the immediate time, but th- this has a terrible look right. to I it. I mean, Ilhan Omar has been targeted from the, the moment she was elected. And so this does not surprise me, but, um, man, sounded, sounded like the division is as strong as ever. AOC gave a spirited, spirited oration uh, attacking the Republicans for it. It's worth watching. It was very, very pointed and largely right on the money. Uh, It's just sad that Ohio is leading that charge. Max Miller, right? I mean, you would think if anybody was going to lead that charge, it'd be Jim Jordan, right? He's our controversial (laughs) congressman. Is Max Miller trying to give Jim Jordan a run for his money? Maybe Jim Jordan is mentoring Max Miller. Well, Max Miller is from Trump world. You know, he was a Trump aide, for God's sake. Yeah, it's just his his first visible move out of the box is to lead this charge. Way to go, Ohio. It's today in Ohio. How is another Republican Ohio congressman working to restore the pension benefits to salaried Delphi workers who received only 30 percent of their pension values after the General Motors bankruptcy? Lisa, this was hugely unfair to the to the Delphi folks. Who's trying to fix it? Yeah, this is actually some good news from an Ohio Republican. Mike Turner, the congressman from Dayton, is working with uh, Dan Kildee, who is a Democratic representative from Michigan. And they're going to try and get a bill through Senate that was passed in the last year in the House, but didn't get through the Senate. So what this bill does is it restores the pensions of Delphi retirees. Delphi was a General Motors parts supplier. 20,000 people were affected in Ohio, Michigan, New York, and Indiana. Some of them suffered up to a 70% cut in their pension payouts. The legislation would have the feds pay the difference between the pension benefits that were earned by Delphi workers and what they actually got in 2009 when GM declared bankruptcy and their pensions were cut. Now, this fix could cost upwards of a billion dollars. Turner says, hey, I'm just a few senators away from getting this through the Senate. I believe the momentum is on our side. He's backed by President Biden and also by both Ohio U.S. Senators, J.D. Vance and uh, Sherrod Brown. It's the right thing to do. I mean, the the pension system is supposed to be your retirement years. Lisa, you're aware of this. Mm -hmm. You're on one. To come to your retirement years and find out you only get 30% of the money would be crippling. You might not be able to live on that. Right. And when I was a a beat reporter in Houston, I covered the trial when Gulf became Chevron. They tried to take the pension away from the Gulf retirees. And that that was a really tense trial. And thank goodness the pensioners won. 
Yeah, well, let's hope they're successful with this. It affects a lot of people. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost is warning pharmacies about their practices involving abortion drugs. Laura, what's his point? He says you can't send them through the mail, that it's illegal. So Yost signed this letter sent to CVS and Walgreens. It argues that the company's plans to send abortion pills is illegal under state and federal law. And he's one of 20 Republican attorney general attorneys general who did this after President Joe Biden had announced a new regulation. That regulation would allow these retail pharmacies to dispense the medication in stores or through the mail. But the FDA had said that mifepristone, which is the first of this two-drug regimen that's used in many first-trimester abortions, says it can be dispensed only by clinics. And so basically they're saying that this federal rule supersedes Biden's change and you can't do it, don't do it in Ohio. Yeah. As much as uh, people who believe in abortion rights don't like this, he seems like he's right. I mean, it is the law that you're not allowed to do it both federally and in the state. So I'm not sure how Biden just ordering it can change that. Right. It does seem like if you want to change it, then change the law. Don't just say you can do it. Yeah. When Biden first announced this, I thought, you can't just supersede the law. One, states have a right to pass their laws. Uh, So as much as people, some people wanted this to happen, uh, Yost is probably correct. What's really interesting is I didn't realize that half, more than half of the abortions provided in Ohio are using these drugs and and not being, they're not surgical abortions. So about 10,240 last year. That's a lot. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, so who broke the law Thursday in barring Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer from an advertised public meeting? Layla, was it Cleveland City Council or Mayor Justin Bibb? Somebody broke it's, the law. It's looking like we can put this one squarely on Justin Bibb and his uh, public safety chief, Kerry Howard. You, you know, given some of the ill-advised decisions that have led to some early, easily avoidable blunders for Justin Bibb, I think this this shouldn't really surprise us, but... Yesterday, we we sent a photographer to follow Cleveland City Council's safety committee around during this tour of the city's proposed site for the new police headquarters. It's the Artcraft Building at Superior and East Twenty Sixth, and and wait, wait, let me let me interrupt though. I mean, explain. We didn't just show up. This was. A formal Yeah, meeting, right. right. This they was billed from the start it. as a public meeting. Council sent out notice of it just as they would for any other meeting. And the tour was scheduled for 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I think it had kind of like a an open house atmosphere for council members. But they all, you know, well, so our photographer, John Koontz, he arrives along with other media. And at first he gets into the building, takes a few shots. But once the city officials realize he's with the media, they escort him from the building and they make him and the other media wait outside at an outdoor loading dock while they get clearance from safety director Carrie Howard to, to let the media in. And they're out there standing for more than an hour. Mm-hmm. And then Kuntz spots Carrie Howard, whose handler then comes over to the media and says, not today in answer to their request for access to the place. And Councilman Mike Polensic, who chairs the committee, tried to get them in to no avail. I mean, he called, he called Carrie Howard, left messages. And then Polensic said that Howard later called him back and told him there would be a separate tour for the media because there is an issue with liability. He said that there are some areas yeah. in the building where there were nails sticking out of the floor. And 
Throwing the flag, throwing the flag. <laughs> what, are, are council people somehow immune from nails yeah, out of the Yeah, they floor? have really so tough feet. They, they have some superpower <laughs> where the, the nails don't puncture the bottom That's of their right. feet? That's right. It's completely bogus. <laughs> I, the thing I get, I don't get, Layla, is I don't even get why he didn't want us there. It's not like it's a security thing. They're redoing nails the Nails on the building. floor. Well, how, how hard is that for you to understand, Chris? <laughs> I mean, so... <laughs> Um, I mean, Council President Blake Griffin told Courtney Astolfi, our City Hall reporter, that that he intended for this to be an open meeting, and he does not understand why Carrie Howard turned them away. And the Ohio Revised Code says that meetings have to be open as long as a majority of the public body is present. And according to John Koontz's account, a majority of the safety committee was indeed there. So this uh, this clearly, you know, it's funny. Even the city spokeswoman texted Courtney at one point after she shared with her the language of the Harvest Code, and she and the spokeswoman said, "It sure sounds like it should have been a public meeting." <laughs> so it should have been a public meeting. And you know, look, I just want to point out, journalists have thicker skins than council people who don't take criticism well. That so we would have been more immune from the nails than the council people. <laughs> we take the barbs, just but ridiculous. I don't know about the nails. <laughs> Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's it's one of those where, and, and you're right. You said at the beginning, a, a completely avoidable controversy. Right. What blows me away is while uh -huh. this was going uh -huh. on, our editorial board was meeting with right. Justin mm -hmm. Bibb, who pointed out the council was over in that building. And I said, so are we. And he kind of laughed and said, yeah, I know. Right. So he never said, oh, I should point out, we're blocking yeah. <laughs> you from being in there while he's talking to yeah. us. He I mean, didn't say, like, you guys dishonest. are on the outside of the building while we're on the inside. Yeah, the whole thing is ridiculous. That's just one of these. Anyway, they violated the law. It's today in Ohio. Which places in Cuyahoga County rank among the top 10 in Ohio for the highest property tax rates? Lisa, I was distressed to see how high mine are. I'm surprised at a lot of the people on this, or a lot of communities on this list. So these are the property tax rates for 2022, and these are bills that are due this year. So you probably already paid your first half. So number one in Ohio was Montgomery County, which is the Northridge School District that has Harrison and Dayton in there. Their uh, valuation was $3,917 per $100,000 valuation, but that's down $12 from the previous year. Now, number two is a really big surprise to me. It's a sliver of South Euclid that falls in the Cleveland Heights University Heights School District because the rest of South Euclid is in another school district. Theirs was $3,871, and then there were others, Cuyahoga counties in the top 10, some of them a surprise. Number three was Cleveland Shaker Square, which is Shaker Heights Schools at 3858. Number four, Shaker Heights at 30,772. Number five, University Heights at 3740, a bit of a surprise there. Number seven was most of Cleveland Heights, Mr. Quinn, at $3,717. And this one was a surprise, too. Number 10, Garfield Heights at $3,525. I'm surprised Beachwood is not on this list. Well, the, the thing that strikes me every time I see those rates, you know, I have a modestly priced house. We still live in the house that we got when I moved here as a reporter and my wife on a teacher's salary. So the, the tax rate is on a modest price. But then I look at those mansions on Fairmount mm -hmm. Boulevard and elsewhere that are worth multi-millions and like, who wants to pay that kind of a tax bill that you know, I would go buy that house somewhere else. I, I'm surprised that those things still have 
value in sales because the taxes on those just staggering. And that's the reason when I moved back here, that's why I chose Lindhurst. I'm from Shaker, but my mom pays almost twice as much as I do in taxes. And Beechwood's pretty high as well. I like, look, I like where I live. I think they provide very good services. You know, I don't have any complaints about the way the city operates, but it is eye-popping to see what our taxes are. And it's municipal taxes. I also pay an income tax here. And I lived in University Heights for nine years. That's where I, my first, we bought our first house, right? And I wrote about this in the top of the wake up newsletter this morning that that number when you're buying your first house looks like so small compared to the total price that you're like, yeah, whatever. And you don't think about paying it every six months for the rest of your life, right? (laughs) So when we bought our second house, I definitely looked at tax rates. And I have to say, I bought a much more expensive house in Rocky River and my taxes stayed the same. Okay. Check out the the list. It's a very interesting one to look through. It's on Cleveland.com. And this is Today in Ohio. The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com put together a regional top workplaces list every year. It's part of Laura's job to make sure that comes together. But some Northeast Ohio companies also rate high in a national list. Which ones are yeah, they, Layla? Good on these companies. Progressive Insurance and Union Home Mortgage Corporation have been named among some of the top workplaces in the U.S. This is according to the 2023 Top Workplaces USA survey. Progressive, which is in Mayfield, took the seventh spot on the list for employers with over 2,500 employees. Sherwin-Williams was 56th and Cleveland Clinic was 73rd on that list. And then Union Home Mortgage in Strongsville placed fifth among businesses with more than 1,000 employees but less than 2,500. Nations Lending and Independence was 12th on the list. And there are some others worth mentioning here, too. National Interstate Insurance Company in Richfield placed 88th among employers with more than 500 employees, but less than 1,000. And Liberty Home Mortgage was 88th among employers between 150 and 499 employees. This is a, this top workplaces survey looks at answers from employees nationwide. More than 3,300 companies participated and, and uh, you know, nearly 1,300 winners were recognized. They do a separate survey for Northeast Ohio, and that was released last year. Union Home Mortgage was second, and Progressive was third among the large employers in in our area. Um, so, good good for them. And we are we are collecting those responses for next year's top work this year's top workplaces, which come out in June. So, if you see those on Cleveland.com, that's a separate round. So we're in the midst of figuring out those. We'll be released in June. Yeah, Laura, that's pretty much a year-round process. There's never a break in the There's cycle. There's like a July through <laughs> September kind of break, but yeah, the folks who work on that are working on it really hard. It's today in Ohio. We took stock of the winter weather at the close of January with snowfalls and Lake Erie ice cover being some of the key indicators. Laura, it's turning out to be a rare winter. Why? We do not have much snow or much ice on Lake Erie. At least we have more than New York City, which broke its record for the longest streak without snow in the winter. We had, obviously, our one pre-holiday blizzard in December, a couple of weather advisories. Uh, Some kids got a snow day. But in January, we've seen only 17.5 inches of snow since the first snowfall on November 13th. That's the fifth lowest amount at this point of the year in the last half century. So... The, the other four winters on this list are 1972, 
1979 into 1980, 82 to 83, 2001, 2002, and 2015, 2016. That was really low, 8.8 inches in 2015. I don't even remember that specifically. It was a great winner. I loved it. (laughs) I probably hated it. (laughs) What about the ice cover? Uh, well, thanks to the cold snap this week, we're up to at least 11 and a half percent on Lake Erie, but as of Monday, it was at less than a half a percent, which compared to last year at the same date, 87.3%. So because Lake Erie is so shallow, it, is, it has the least water of any of the Great Lakes. It does freeze really fast. So that's why it can get up from zero to 11 in a couple of days. But I don't know what our total ice cover will get. Usually it peaks in or, you know, mid-February, but uh, we could get to 30%, the forecasters say, in the near future. What what I always found interesting about the ice cover uh, is that sometimes it's very hard to track because it's satellite and you need it to be sunny. And we all know in Northeast Ohio, probably five out of six days, you can't see the lake. <laughs> so when, when you're tracking it, you're trying to see it day by day. And if a week goes by, a huge amount of change can occur, both in the melting and the freezing. I was surprised we were able to get such clear imagery, which we have on the front page of the Plain Dealer today, and it's on cleveland.com, right? Yes. So NOAA, um, NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they take those pictures every day. And you're right. I I would go in a lot of times and click on them. It's like cloud cover, cloud cover, cloud cover. But the, the pretty sunlight days when it's like a... A teal blue, it is, yeah, really pretty. It's pretty, but like I said, (laughs) you get a rare view of it. It's today in Ohio. All right, Lisa, the details continue to trickle out. They are illuminating. What did we learn Thursday in the corruption trial of ousted Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder? Well, they're taking a look at some emails in this trial. Uh, These emails were from late 2018, which was five months before House Bill 6 was introduced. Uh, First Energy Executive David Griffin emailed other First Energy execs and lobbyists an early draft of what they called the Clean Air Credit program. There were no details about this draft revealed in the testimony this week, but the title is very similar to what eventually became House Bill 6, that $150 million a year subsidy to two nuclear plants through 2027. Um, So First Energy after the 2018 election in November, First Energy stepped up their efforts to, you know, get this passed. And like I said, the bill was not introduced until April of 2019. And during that time, uh, you know, a lot of you know, meetings took place, a few dinners. Uh, the draft recipients include uh, lobbyist Juan Cespedes, other uh, First Energy officials, and GOP operative Bob Klafke, who helped Householder and his cronies get elected. So Householder and First Energy CEO Chuck Jones, I should say former CEO, and uh, First Energy lobbyist Mike Dowling were very cozy in those months leading up to the introduction of House Bill 6. There were call logs and texts that show that relationship. They were discussing the bill language and talking about the opposition to this bill from the American Petroleum Institute. I I get the feeling that all of these corrupt people and all the people in the state house are relying on Ohioans to not pay attention to this. Because if you pay attention to this, you would lose all faith in your government and demand change. I mean, we had Coingate 
what, 20 years ago, where that kind of outrage resulted in a big changeover at the state house. We're not seeing that. I mean, it's, and I think that the, the elected leaders count on that. The people are so burned out by the, the failures of government. They don't pay attention, but this, this trial is really revealing. Well, and as, how, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say anyone who's covered trials, you know, as a reporter knows that, you know, you can sit through a lot of boring stuff and have a few nuggets. And I'm willing to bet there aren't that many reporters sitting in the gallery, certainly not any TV reporters. So, you know, I think on this podcast, we've been talking about interesting details of the trial all week. And I wonder if we're the only ones really doing that. Well, I know that Spectrum News, which is in a lot of households throughout the state, has paid attention to this. So I credit them. That's run by our former colleague, Carl Turner. Um, and, and they're trying to spread the word. But you're right. A lot of the media has just stopped focusing on things like this because they're running around chasing shootings. And it's a shame because this is the, the central part of our government. We keep talking about how gerrymandering and all these things have, have wrecked how we're governed, this is the case. I mean, we should be putting reforms together based on what was allowed to happen in this case, but nobody's paying attention. I think next week, though, things will get interesting. It might attract uh, the the TV stations, but uh, Juan Cespedes, who pled guilty to racketeering, is the next witness to take the stand for the prosecution. So that may occur next week. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I should point out that Zachary Smith just posted the lowest tax rates. So we'll be talking about that next week. But if you want to check that out to get away from the sticker shock of the highest tax rates, they just went up on Cleveland.com. That's it for the Friday episode. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to this podcast.